Welcome back to our reading of Takeout. Chapter 1 didn't really offer us much, so let us not waste any time. Chapter 2. The Hunger Begins. And so it was, another workday whooshed, and then I whooshed home. Notably, a much more rewarding whoosh. It was the first week of October. This meant my last paycheck had come and gone, eaten away by the monster in my mailbox. Too many stomachs growl in that little metal beast the post office claims to own, yet my records indicate that it was my debit card that purchased said construct. It was built in the shape of a paper shredder, and it made me laugh when I saw it. I would even make the sound of paper being shredded with my mouth when I was lucky enough to see the postal worker putting my mail into it. It stood tall out of the ground at the edge of my front lawn, its little red flag popping up at the beginning of every month, indicating feeding time. It was easy enough to accept bills. I was grateful for the roof that sheltered me from the rain and snow and cold wind and stuff like that. I lived happily with two of my college schoolmates. College was over a decade behind us, but we had a good spot, so we just kept re-signing the lease for 12 years. There was Pete, a delivery driver for a not-so-fancy catering company. You wouldn't know it from the outside, but all they did was turn canned food into seemingly appetizing spreads. Who needs a chef in the catering business? Presentation is a powerful thing. Now, Pete didn't like his job. To cope with this disdain, he spent a great deal of mental energy pretending that he was a scientist for a company that operated out of a highly sophisticated structure floating in the dense gases of Jupiter's core. Bobbing like a buoy in the gas giant, Pete romanticized his days, pretend researching the behaviors of Earth's cognitive development. The joke, he told himself, was that he was working for future deployment of a better run of genes into Earth 2's population. He really hates that job. But he also hates the catering team that he delivers for. And so he'd talk to them like they were all robots. His pseudo-robot research team programmed to collect data. They knew nothing of this fantasy of his and had no frame of reference for when he referred to them by names he made up based on their personalities. Passive Aggressotron was my favorite. There was also Cynic Borg, Klingbot, and the one Upinator, which are all tasty, audible morsels. I just got a kick out of him calling someone Passive Aggressotron to their face, which he did. Pete is sort of a dick. Funny, but a dick. A sleeping intellectual with an unbudging, cynical view of the world. No matter how fed or at peace he may be, cynical to the bare bone. Six feet tall, Pete used to be a muscle-bound, stubborn-headed gym nerd, but over the years he's been transitioning into saggy fat guy. With every bit of muscle that turns to flab, his sarcasm gets a tad sharper and more apathetic. His wit would be amusing in public if it wasn't so unforgiving. He gets us kicked out of a lot of places. He's going to be a grumpy old man, and I will love him all the same. Rosalind was our other roommate. We call her Roz. She happily works at a trendy craft store. Most of what they sell makes no sense to me, but I like the smell. And the progressive female clientele that pass through are always very beautiful. Roz teases me often for being too shy to approach them. I know she's just trying to encourage me to ask someone out, but it doesn't work. It just reminds me that I'm a wimp. 
Roz has a big fish tank in our basement where she spends a lot of her free time talking to her 24 marine friends. Long-winded exchanges where she speaks for each fish in the voice she believes they would have had they had a voice to speak. I love her to death, but I'm growing concerned for her own romantic life. I'd get into it in more detail, but I'm worried about my own increasing knowledge of her fish family. There is something off when you start to relate with the day-to-day -day imagined ongoings of the aquatic life that swims in their own toilet all day, unaware they are aging in your den. Sometimes I feel like I know more about what Roz pretends to know about her fish than I do of my own life. I'm actually just now noticing I've written a note on the back of my hand to ask Hewitt something. Hewitt's a fish. I actually had a moment today where I wondered what the fish would think. I make it up. So why did I think that I had to wait to get home to find out? I already knew. I am way off topic. Let's get back to the story. The three of us live well together. Everyone cleans up after themselves. We respect each other's privacy and give a commandable amount of heads up for visitors and travel plans. We never force our opinions on one another, pay rent on time, and we always stand up for each other when the time calls for it. Although it's usually only Pete who would require the assistance of a friend's defense. Pete, well, he's a dick. And so it was, I came home from that slow work day I had begun this story with. The whooshing. I was sitting in the kitchen drinking the last of someone else's lemonade and staring off into the back of my thoughts, going nowhere. I think I was imagining the refrigerator dressing itself for a night out on the town. It was a hunger-inspired daydream. I didn't want to face the limited options I had for dinner. I was broke, and my rations were sad. I felt bad for finishing someone's lemonade, a move I justified at first with the skimpy amount that was left in the jug. I guess everyone is entitled to their frugality. I have no defense. It was a dick move, and I do feel bad about it. Regardless, the hunger I had just mentioned is the precursor to the point to this whole tale, as hunger usually is to most events. What are we if we don't eat? So there I was, hungry and lazy, stealing lemonade when Pete broke me free from my daydream with his own hunger, which was presently at a high level. If we had a color chart to gauge hunger, and let's say red would be the highest level of hunger, then he was red hungry. I was like a redder red. Whatever red's father is, that's what I was. Or would the kid be redder? Youth and all that. You get what I'm saying, I was hungry. Now, Pete never looked at anyone when he talked. He was usually doing something like playing a game on his phone or cutting nipples out of magazines to decoupage self-portraits onto the covers of old romance novels. Something about immortalizing his face and pristine areolas on what he calls smush books seems to make him feel special. He has never explained to me what smush means. Nevertheless, he was a constant multitasker. He was playing around on his phone then, when he told me Roz was at the Hong Kong. She messaged, asking if we were famished and in need. He asked me if I was down for Chinese food. Just the word, Chinese food, sparked the urge for greasy mystery meat to fill my taste buds with their glorious grime. It always does. Even Chinese letters 
triggered the craving. Those tattoos people have in Asian letters for things like eternal or strength and shit like that. Doesn't matter if it's Japanese, Chinese, Korean, Thai, Vietnamese, Mongolian, whatever. It makes me want Chinese food. And so it was. Takeout took complete control of my mind's inner gears. My stomach sent off its emergency flare with a rolling salute to the idea. All engines were a go for Kung Pao pork fried rice. I signed my digestive track away to the mercy of the MSG gods with a commanding, Yes, Pete, I am down for Chinese food. Despite my lack of funds, I was all aboard for the takeout train to heart-clogging joy. Funny how knowing just how unhealthy something is in no way deters us from experiencing it time and time again. Life's simple pleasures are more often than not things that take away chances for more of life's simple pleasures. I love Chinese takeout. I love it. Hearing Roz in my head ordering each item danced my eardrums in directions no symphony could ever dream of bathing me in. I love takeout. I love it. My blissful moment went to shit quick as Pete informed me Roz was using his plastic for the purchase. My eyes melted at that moment. I would owe Pete the money for the food. This was not a good thing. The warming score that filled my excitement collapsed as Pete asked me for my share right then and there. Fourteen dollars. This is where it all starts, really. The spring that sprung this story into something of a tale to tell. As I had mentioned, I didn't have any money. Not only did I not have any money, but as I mentioned before, I knew I didn't have any money. The thought of takeout goodness splashing around the inside of my cheeks with glory hallelujah saw no need for such a silly detail. And with Ra's ordering, there was no need for such a silly detail. She was always happy to cover in the moment of need. The food was coming. And this was what was most important. This was not how it was with Pete. No money meant no food. I had to think quick. I faked like I was looking around for my share. My wallet was barren, my pockets were vacant, my hamper held no crumpled or loose currency, and my change jar only had four pennies. It was quite the show I put on, running around pretending to be dumb. I looked at Pete empty-handed and he shook his head saying, I don't know what we're going to do about this. Then he added something like, not cool. Then he added more. He said, You still owe me money from last month's bar adventure, the ginger whiskers and tequilas, which have been three weeks in the waiting now. The anticipation climbs. I've been letting it slide because of rent, but I don't think I should support your cravings like this. It's too risky. You getting comfortable, you know? Your sense of responsibility could decay. I was afraid he was going to pull something like this. Pete was a strange one. He looked around, scratching his chin, saying, Okay, friend, it's still a reasonable hour. Until you make the money you owe me, you can't enjoy the food that's on its way. At first, I thought impossible. A simple IOU seemed more appropriate for the situation, and so, I'll pay you back, I said, 
with the standard presumption one would think to apply to such an open and shut case. It was 14 bucks. This was not how he saw it. Pete found the reason in his ruling, explaining, If you eat the Chinese food now, you will be less inclined to pay me back. Time could pass and we could forget it ever happened. We can't lose track of debts. The very foundation our freedom rests upon is stained within the methodical green ink that lines the image of our unbiased currency. To lose sight of it is to slap our ability for happiness's pursuit right in its liberty-loving face. You gotta step up to the plate, and you need to hit that home run. If not for yourself, then for everyone who is, and who will one day be, hungry. I think a flag dropped behind him during his speech, and someone off-screen tossed a rose at him. Pete doesn't like flowers, so he didn't care. This is, besides the point, the craving had set in. Once the stomach sends the takeout order to the brain, you can give it nothing else. And with the unmatchable flavor of Chinese food deeply embedded into my central joy processor, I could eat nothing else. I needed Kung Pao. I just stood in the living room looking to Pete with sad puppy eyes. Not the kind that seeks to coax its target into a guilty retreat, but the kind that are actually just sad. I tried to barter, but Pete wouldn't budge. Nothing I owned interested him. The same was found for the offer of slave labor. I knew Pete would hold on to the food well beyond it rotting before he would let me have any. Not without the do-re-mi. It was money or nothing. For a second, I thought it was karma hitting me in the nuts for drinking someone's lemonade, but then I remembered I don't believe in that crap. I did for a while when I was younger, but I got over it. No offense to anyone who does believe in that crap, but really, why do you need some metaphysical pendulum taunting your every choice with a foreboding smash of reality to get you to walk a noble path? It always makes me wonder, these karma enthusiasts, if there was not yet the concept of karma, would these do-right-or-else folk be causing mischief everywhere they went? You get where I'm going with this. They might not be good people. They might just be scared, bad people. In which case, array to karma for thinning out the no-gooders. It's just something to think about. Intention is everything. Now, my intention with placing an order, knowing full well I had no means to pay, was innocent, as I fully intended to belly up, as they say. And I really needed to fill my belly up. It didn't matter. Pete had turned to his phone, disregarding the sorrow that had become the ground with which I was sinking into. I almost cried. Which, if you have ever experienced the knockout joy of Chinese takeout, you'd understand it was an appropriate almost cry. I didn't. I just stood there looking at Pete play with his phone. It sucked. There was no money for me to make. There was just food on the way Pete would not let me eat. I could hear the argument he'd have with Roz as she'd try to feed me. She wouldn't win. I would still be hungry. I had almost accepted my fate when Pete huffed out the solution. Passing from one room to the next, he mumbled. Just run to the quick job. I leapt into the air. I couldn't believe I forgot about the quick job. It was 12 minutes after 7, which meant I had 48 minutes to make it downtown before the quick job closed. 
I was confident there was a gig I could pull off before my food got too cold. Not that it was much of a worry. Reheated Chinese food is just as good as regular Chinese food. Reheated on the stovetop, of course. To me, microwaves turn food into trash. What was coming was far from trash. My takeout treasure. No matter how long it was going to take, no matter how cold my Kung Pao got, I was going to succeed. I tied my shoes tight and raced out the door. Raced into my little dirty white automobile. Two doors, a sleepable trunk space, and a red hood. Her name was Teddy. She had a crooked steering wheel, and a second gear fought you like a little mutant. But the gas mileage was legendary. Well, well, a plot. What sort of task will our narrator find themselves at the mercy to perform? I do hope they make it in time. I also hope you're enjoying yourself so far. Seems to me things could get rather exciting. Until the next chapter, I bid you adieu.